Hello and welcome. My name's Pete Rushmer and I'm your host today of a Half Dozen Things podcast. A Half Dozen Things is a podcast for business owners and professionals just like you. Whether you're an underdog hungry for success or you're already smashing it but want to continue to level up, we are here each week for you to get insight and learning from the very best in the business. No fluff, no BS and no self-proclaimed gurus talking about how easy business or life is. Just real, raw and frank conversations. My curiosity and impatience in seeking success has encouraged me to create a Half Dozen Things podcast. I designed it to bring you simplicity and discovery back to the forefront of your lives. We're all such busy people, it's easy to overlook the simple things we could be doing to achieve wealth, success and happiness. If you love today's podcast, please do share it, subscribe and let all your friends know how great the podcast is. Thank you. I'm really excited to be joined today by the lease negotiator, Jonathan Hand. Jonathan has been in the commercial property sector for over 30 years and has amassed a huge amount of experience dealing with landlords and tenants. In this podcast, Jonathan, otherwise known as the lease negotiator, will share his secrets of commercial property lease negotiation from a tenant's perspective. His half dozen things are all around the pitfalls and the challenges that tenants face when negotiating their lease. So if you want to find out more about the secrets of negotiating with your landlord and how to better protect you and your business when entering lease negotiations, have a listen. Hope you enjoy the episode. Cool. Right, so the red light is rolling, Jonathan. So... I'm really pleased to have Jonathan join me today, Jonathan Hand. He is the hashtag lease negotiator or hashtag the lease negotiator. Uh, Jonathan, absolute pleasure to have you join us. I know you've had a bit of a listen to a couple of the episodes, so you kind of know what you're letting yourself in for. There's no going to be no nasty surprises. <laughs> so Jonathan, just just tell tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, what you do, and a little bit about your history and, and how you've become the lease negotiator. Certainly. Um, yeah. Hi, Pete. Thanks for inviting me to come and uh, have a chat with you this morning, uh, today. So, yeah, potted history, really. I've been in commercial property for about 30 years now, and the vast majority of that was acting as a commercial property agent, acting for landlords, marketing their properties for them. And over that course of probably 20 odd years, pretty much saw every mistake that business owners can make when trying to rent properties. So 10 years ago, made the decision that I wanted to make a difference, I suppose. And there seemed to be a lack of opportunity for certainly business owners in terms of getting advice from people. And I wanted to make a real difference to them to be able to give them the benefit of my experience and expertise. And that's kind of really how I've gone. So I've kind of switched onto the other side of the fence now. We only act for tenants and purchasers, predominantly tenants. And we kind of guide them through this, the very complex process of lease negotiating and that really and it's the my experience in terms of networking that sort of the lease negotiator was created because yep. of a hashtag and <laughs> yeah we've, we've helped lots of business owners get their leases right so awesome awesome no that, that's absolutely fantastic and the, the this is this is going to be a bit of a special episode we're going to we're going to formalize it around property and lease negotiation and and those areas for listeners so if you're in the midst of, of of that or you're looking to do that in the near future then Jonathan's going to be your man but I'll just outline the the half dozen things that we're going to discuss so why tenants can get caught out 
what the challenges are that tenants face. The third one is the common pitfalls that tenants fall into. And then the fourth, how to avoid the pitfalls, secrets of negotiating with your landlord and how to protect you and your business. So we've got half a dozen areas. They're all absolutely fantastic. Please excuse the truck that's driving past my window <laughs> right now that you can probably hear. So I'm going to talk really loudly to talk over it. But hey, you know, this is this is the joy of recording and me being on an industrial estate and, and all that sort of good stuff, right? But you know what? I, I'm really interested actually. And this, this falls at a really good time, Jonathan, because you may not have had a ta- chance to listen to the previous episodes, but I'm just going to shout people back to those is obviously a key skill of what you do is the negotiation element and what we've what we've looked at in previous episodes i've had um fred cope's take on talking about partnering intelligence and being able to negotiate based on partnering and then just recently bob pointer as well who is actually an ex-hostage negotiator um, and he talks a lot about the interpersonal skills involved so it's quite nice to then have a look at those skills in the application because i must say of of all the people I meet networking, Jonathan, you must be one of the jolly nicest people. (laughs) So uh, yeah, congratulations on that. And and genuinely you're you're such a good guy and you build rapport really, really well with people and and are very engaging in conversation. So I'm I'm really excited to to have a chat with you, despite the fact that you're, you're a gooner and I know you didn't want me to mention it. In case we put people off. But Absolutely. Like, yeah. I'm just going to frame it. I'm a Man United fan. I'm a proper Southerner. I'm a proper Southerner. I'm, I love Man United. I've been up to Old Trafford before people start getting on my back about being a Southerner who's never been to Old Trafford. I have been. And I did yeah. used to go as a chi- as a kid regularly. And, you know, I, I I think I was like the curse. So I'd always go up. And United, United would have like seasons unbeaten at Old Trafford. And like the first time I ever went to go, they were playing Knotts Forest. Uh, and I'm talking like Stuart Pearce, Roy Keane. Era. Long time ago then. Yeah, long time ago. Eric Cantona, some absolutely fantastic players. To be fair, I think Stan Collymore was playing as well. Um, but Forest <laughs> beat United 2-1 and, and ended an Old Trafford losing streak. So, yeah. We're not there this season then. Yeah, no, I haven't been. I haven't been anywhere near this season. I, I don't get the chance to go up as much as I'd like to. I do watch religiously on Sky, but um, yeah, no, it's a bit of a I challenge. Think your, so yeah, your season has turned out slightly more successful than ours. But um, hey, hey, there's always next year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, so have you have you always been an Arsenal fan? What's what's the crack there? Tell me a yeah, bit about so, it. Yeah, since probably like late seventies, early eighties. So okay. and pre me being born, not to make you feel old, mate. I know. <laughs> so it's this sort of Dave O'Leary era and Sunderland and those kind of Pat Jennings and all all those kind of people, and um, kind of a bit of an armchair fan, I have to say. <laughs> kind of, sort of dip dipping in and dip out, but they're certainly the first uh, team I always look out for nice. when the results come in, or not, as the as the as the seasons vary. I know they've been such a letdown in recent years, oh. haven't they? Haven't they been such a letdown? I think certainly Mikel Arteta's certainly on the right track. He's yep. obviously got some key signings to make. And I think it's obviously just wonderful watching them play, attack, and in terms of their forwards. But by doing this struggle in defence, probably that's over the last six, seven, eight years, isn't it? You've gone, just get a world-class defender and that just makes a huge difference. So... I think they've got uh, a few signings in the offing. And um, if we can get that uh, position shored up, hey, back into the top four, who knows? Yeah, I think I, I think it's um, 
I think it's absolutely vital that team teams have that 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 spine, and yeah. I think I think United are starting to shape that now, which they haven't had probably since Ferguson was there. And uh, you know, you look at the really successful teams in recent years, your cities. They've had a great keeper. They've had company centre back. They've had a strong central midfield with attacking players mm-hmm. and sort of straight mm-hmm. through that spine of the team. Uh, yeah, they've had they've had options and they've had great players. Uh, Liverpool are much the same at this point. You know, you've yeah. got Van Dijk at the back and, and Arsenal have been lacking. United were lacking that. And I suppose you could be a little bit sceptical whether Harry Maguire is the man or not. But, um, yeah, you know. Yeah, I think, you know, he's obviously paid a lot of money for him, didn't they? So. Yeah, they did. He needs to be, <laughs> didn't he, right? <laughs> anyway, we'll stop alienating all the people who aren't interested in football. Yeah, the Spurs fans. We'll move, on, we'll move on to lease <laughs> negotiation, right? So, uh, yeah, apologies if football has got zero interest. Hopefully, uh, you'll be able to... I guess you can't skip through because you've just had to listen to it. So never yeah. mind. I'll probably, I'll probably put a disclaimer at the beginning. Or, and say, or even edit that bit out, Pete. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> skip, skip to this point, right? No, it's fine. It's fine. It's good to have a bit of banter. Right then. So let's let's crack on with your half dozen things. Yeah. The first one is why tenants get caught out. So are you able to just explain that one a bit more for me, please? Yeah, please? certainly. I, I get to speak. Obviously, one of the joys of what I do is I get to speak to so many different business owners, varying experiences, various sectors. And the one thing that keeps coming out and crop, cropping up is I've been caught out by my lease. And it comes as no surprise to me anymore, but it comes as a great sadness because it doesn't have to happen. And I think what tends to happen is that there is tenants and business owners sign up to leases and then things come out of the woodwork at, at later points. And often those things create frustration, sometimes financial hardship and it all comes back down to the lease negotiation at the start. If they got the lease right, then ultimately those things wouldn't happen. So there's different ways in which tenants can get caught and then probably just elaborate on a, a few of those. And I think it comes back down to leases are complex. They're the legally binding documents and therefore you rec- you need technical detail. And And I think business owners... They're multi-talented, will try and do multi-things multi, multi things and different things, uh, masters of some and little experience in others. And I think lease negotiation in particular is something a business owner will, will only do two or three times. And what they often have to do is, because they don't, haven't got the technical detail, they end up making mistakes and then learning from them. But the problem is these leases are so wide-ranging that not focusing on the whole spectrum allows areas to get caught out. So I think one of the biggest reasons I see is that sort of lack of technical detail from a negotiation perspective. And I think, do you want me to sort of elaborate on a few others as well whilst, whilst we're talking through? Yeah, got you. So I, I think I think sort of just to, just to sort of frame for people, when, when we talk about the, the businesses, this may be the lease on a, on a, on a on an office suite, oh, or it may be a, a lease on a yard, or and and buildings. It, yeah, yeah, it's across the spectrum. So commercial property yeah. is is a very wide spectrum. Pretty much mm-hmm. covers any business activity to some extent. And a business occupying, obviously, they could either own the freehold or own a long leasehold interest. But ultimately, quite a large number of people in the UK rent premises. So it covers 
pretty much the entire spectrum. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and this is a vital part, particularly for my audience, those that are in the transport sector, for example, yeah. because um, it's so important when we, when we do an application for an operator's license, we have to give the premises information. And, you know, I've certainly worked for businesses in the past that have, they have limitations put on the movement of their vehicles at certain times due to residential yeah. situations and, and those sorts of things. But actually they're in, they're in a lease that they can't, you know, that, that, that they're stuck into and, and that they face challenges. So when, when you say why tenants get caught out, can are you able to just give like a couple of examples what, what they may be? Because initially people will just go, well, they're paying too much money and it's too expensive. But I suppose it's far more wide ranging than that, Jonathan. Yeah, I'll come on to that in a little bit later in, in terms of the conversation because that kind of falls into common pitfalls. Well, the, sort of the last comment you made is quite interesting because you mentioned about um, tenants paying too high a rent. Mm-hmm. And I and I and that kind of comes out in terms of the other focus, really, because I think certainly a lot in my experience, a lot of business owners will look at the financials of the deal. So if they've been able to negotiate a re- reduction in rent or uh, a rent-free period, they'll often come out of that and go, "Do you know what? We've we've negotiated a really fantastic deal." And what they then end up doing is forgetting about the technical detail, and it's the the devil in the detail in the core of the lease which then ends up costing them a lot of money. Yeah. And often that money is more is more than what you've actually negotiated at the start. Mm-hmm. So, it's, so business owners tend to focus on the wrong thing. It's yeah. important to get clearly the, the best rent you can and sort of the, the, the incentives. Mm-hmm. But equally, that's just not, that is not the only thing that you look at in terms of making a good deal. It has to be sort of the lease in its entirety. Yeah, and and th- th- this is a niche skill set. You know, one one of the things we look at as part of our um, HR services as well is, is people's motivations. And a lot of the time, and 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 this is a broad generalisation because business owners are often often have varying attributes and attri- yeah. uh, various skills. However, there is often a case where uh, very entrepreneurial people are very high level focused. They they're not particularly detail oriented. It's a lot about what's what the vision is, what the goals are, and then they have people that do do the sort of detail element for them as long as they, they sort of stick within the guidelines set out by the entrepreneur or the business owner. Um, and I'm sure you've probably come across that as well. And actually, when it comes to the detail, they haven't got time for that. They don't want to deal with that. Um, and I suppose that's that's sort of where you come in there. And that's an ideal client, really, for us, because ultimately, at the end of the day, they, they, they've got very, very clear objectives. They know what they want to achieve but they're aware of their limitations and, and lack of knowledge is certainly one of those that can play a big part and they bring in an expert to, to help them. And I would just probably just like to raise two other things here within within this topic. So if a business owner hasn't got the right skill set in terms of the, sort of the knowledge element, what they then start to do is rely on other people and one of those is the commercial property agent. And if there's just one thing to take away from this podcast is the commercial property agent there is exclusively acting for the landlord and the property owner. So although they come across as very helpful, it is not their job to point out where the business owner is making the mistakes, what they've missed, or even where they could do better. So certainly from a property agent's perspective, and obviously I've been one of those, well, previously in a previous life for 20 odd years, you kind of, you are helpful but ultimately, at the end of the day, you cannot advise and you cannot guide as to whether the property's right or the deal's right. And a business owner can kind of get caught up in a mistake of over-relying on the agent. So that's the first point within that. 
And then the second never, one... Sorry, never a true word. Be careful who your friends are, right? <laughs> yeah. I know it's getting, going way back to basics. But and keep the enemies right? even closer, isn't it? I think this is Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, um, yeah. And then just leading on from that, and I think that this, this probably will cause a little bit of controversy, but I think a lot of business owners, uh, certainly the conversations I have, they suddenly go, oh, I don't need to worry about the negotiations because it's ultimately my solicitor that w- will do that for me. They'll look after my interests. But the solicitor's job isn't to negotiate the lease. It's to translate what you have agreed into a legal form. So if you've negotiated a bad lease or sort of bad terms at the start, the solicitor's kind of got their hands tied to some extent in terms of just translating that into the legal jargon. If the solicitor then starts to try and change the fundamental terms of what's been agreed, that really just starts to cause bad feeling in terms of the deal. And we've got a couple of examples where that's happened, where we've kind of been brought in at the last minute and said, look, these are the head's terms. Can you get these negotiated? Or can you pass judgment or just give us an indication as to whether we've, we've done the right thing? And at that point, you're going, well, to be fair, you shouldn't have agreed to this, but we'll see what we can do. And at that point, the agent thinks the deal was agreed, the landlord thinks the deal was agreed, and suddenly you're then having to try and unravel it to mm-hmm. renegotiate. Mm-hmm. And the landlord's going, well, why am I dealing with these people? Because they're now changing the terms that we've agreed to. So it's a difficulty, and I think it comes back down to knowing or having the right knowledge and information at the start of those negotiations to then make it a relatively sort of seamless process. Yeah, got you. Nothing, nothing like trying to renegotiate once the horse has proverbially bolted, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, very true. <laughs> very good. Right, brilliant. So that takes us on to like, the second area then, which is around the challenges that tenants face. So yeah. what, what are the challenges that tenants face? I think, would you mind if I just run through sort of the typical process that um, somebody who's looking to move goes through? And, uh, and again, I think we, I can probably just elaborate on a few things there where, which causes sort of tenants uh, uh, some of the sort of challenges. So it's not necessarily just moving, but that's the bit I just want to sort of concentrate on uh, uh, at this point. So if somebody's looking to move, one of the first things they need to think about is what type of property they need for their business. So often that goes in terms of location. Because I think the, the adage location, location, location is pretty key. So having the right building in the right location is really important. You then look at size. You look at the specification of the property, type of property as to whether it fits. Has it got the right power? Has it got the right use? Can you do what you want to do from there? Is it going to see you for 12 months or five years or 10 years? So there's a lot of things to think about. And from a business owner's perspective, they then really sort of narrow those things down and kind of come up with their ideal property. The first challenge then is to go out and try and find it because commercial property can be in relative short supply for what you actually need and want. So the first port of call often is to go and search the internet. So there's various websites available. You, you can type in industrial property to let wherever you go and it brings up a whole load of property and then from the business owner's perspective what they've got got to try and do is sift through that information to try and work out what actually best fits so having a sort of clear picture and vision on one hand is really important but often then how that then correlates and how you work out what what's actually in the market and available it can be can be a challenge. So that process between having the idea and then trying to find something can take days, it can take weeks, it can take months. 
And in certain instances, it takes years. And I think what happens at that point view is people then start to drop out because people get frustrated. They have to change the plans. Plans move on. So I think certainly from that perspective, that's the first ultimate challenge. Once you've identified and, and through that process, you then start to come in contact with the commercial property agents. So if you can't find what, you're, what you need, you probably give the property agent a ring or send him an email and then he'll start to send some information through to you. One of the challenges from a business owner's perspective is they'll often say to me, well, the agents don't actually listen to what I'm saying. I've just had a load of information through that is completely irrelevant. Yeah. And the reason the agents do that is because they know what a challenge it is to try and find something. So if they send you all the information through, then there is a chance that you might spot something which is normally outside of your requirements where you go, oh, actually, that might fit. Right, I see. But it, Again, serving their own interests. Yeah, but it comes as a really real frustration to the business owners because they're going, well, this is not what I've asked for. This is not what I wanted, but it's the agent's job of trying to cover their bases and, yeah, try and get a sale or a letting from a, out of nowhere. So as part of that process, the business owner might stumble, and I have to say stumble on something, but it might just searching and scrolling through and go, actually, that looks of interest. So at the next point, they then contact the agents to organise viewings and the agent might show them two or, two or three buildings. And again, through that process, the, the agent is mining for information. Yep. So ask the, uh, the business owner what kind of business they're in, what the plans are, whether they've seen anything else. And all that information then is used to, as a gathering tool, really, to then use that potentially against you in negotiations. So the negotiations take place if it's if it's the building you want to go through. And this where this is where the sort of technical detail comes into to some extent, because in terms of those negotiations, from a business owner's perspective, if you don't know or don't ask the right questions, often a lot of these things will be transcribed and put into the heads of terms by default and those default features are landlord orientated so when the heads of terms get sent through to you for agreement yeah that looks all okay it then gets sent to the landlord's solicitors to prepare the, prepare the documentation and at that point it's a very landlord orientated lease if you've not negotiated the right things and that's kind of the other challenge is making sure that that lease before it gets to the solicitors is in the right format that that it's working for you rather than the landlord yeah, or is a much more balanced yeah. uh, document. So even all throughout the process, there are areas where mistakes can be made, things can get missed. And often that, that then gets transcribed into a lease. that isn't working in your favor. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And, 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 and I suppose the, 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 the agent, and the landlord as well, particularly. So the landlord is going to be a wily old fox, isn't he? You know, I'm not knocking landlords here, but he's going to be a wily fox because he knows what he wants and he's experienced in going and getting it as well. Yes, and and, and obviously there's a wide variations of landlords. Some are really philanthropic and really care about the businesses who are, who are tenants and really want to support them. And you've got landlords at the far other end of the spectrum that it's just a financial route and investment and the money is just what they're interested in. And then obviously the, there's a whole spectrum of landlords in between. So, oh yeah, Go ahead. yes, yeah. 
yeah, so there, there, there's lots of potential uh, potential pitfalls there. So that brings us nicely onto the third area, which is what are the common pitfalls that tenants fall into? Yeah, I think the one area which I think causes probably sort of the most acrimony and the biggest area of dispute comes in terms of repairing liability. So you, you may have heard the term, listeners might have heard the terms, uh, full repairing lease. And it doesn't necessarily sound that onerous, but actually when you get into the nitty gritty detail of it, it actually can cost tenants a huge amount of money. So a full repairing insuring or full repairing lease, what that means is that for the period of time that you occupy the building, I say you've almost got to treat it like your building. So if there's anything to repair in it, then it becomes your responsibility. So even if you take the building over in a sort of poor state of repair, then at the end of the lease, on a full repairing lease, you are obligated and expected to kind of put right everything within that within that building. Wow! So I, unless you unless you do things to mitigate that liability. Yeah, got you. So is it is it fair that you know because I think about the situation that I could find myself in going to, going to lease a property, and just making the assumption that it's similar to uh, a, a rented house. You know where where I suppose the the expectation in a rented home is that the landlord takes responsibility for the the repair of the the house and sort of you know the the, the tenant looks after wear and tear, which is very different to an actual repair uh, a repair situation. Yeah, so so the, the sort of the commercial uh, position is completely different. So mm. uh, and but do tenants know that? Do do business owners know that, or do they tend to sort of fall into a bit of a trap there? Yeah, I think they, I think they fall into a little bit of a trap, or they certainly fall into a trap because certainly if speaking to the business owners, that's probably the one the one thing that has caught a lot of people out, and that's the thing that generally catches that catches them out financially. They're not expecting that the level of repairing notice or the dilapidations as it's referred to, at the end of the lease. It can, dilapidations can happen at any time. You can serve interim dilapidations direct, throughout the lease from a landlord's position if they wanted to, but often it's more common at the end when a tenant vacates. I think it's, yeah, business owners aren't expecting sort of the level of detail or the level of repair that the lease will often stipulate. But there are things from a tenant's perspective where they can improve and mitigate their position so what one of those and the ultimate one to some extent is is to take i suppose similar to the residential side really which is an internal repair repairing lease whereby as a tenant you only are responsible for the inside of the building right um landlords are not keen to agree to that because obviously it puts them on the onus to repair the outside and certainly in terms of commercial property roofs and things like that and certainly flat roofs can obviously add up to quite a bit of expense and repair at the end of a lease. So you can take an internal one, but that's quite difficult to negotiate. So coming back to the sort of full repairing bit, what you often refer to is a schedule of condition. The schedule of condition is a is a document that um, is either photographic or text, and you can't, that's formed before you go into a building, just records the condition of the building that you're taking it over it, and then within the lease. There is a part of the repairing clause. It says that as a tenant, you're not responsible to hand the property back in any better state of repair than is evidenced. So it kind of draws a bit of a line in the sand. And then you kind of still have a bit of an argument with the landlord at the end of the lease. But at least it's starting to cut off your your liability. Got you. 
One of the traps that tenants fall into in this is that the schedule is often referred to within the repairing clause alone. What you must make sure is that also follows through into what's known as the decoration clause, which often sits underneath it. And that means separate to repair, tenants are obligated to decorate the premises when they vacate internally and sometimes externally. So if the schedule is only referred to within the repairing clause, it creates a bit of a conflict because on the one hand, tenants think they're absolutely protected with no liability. And then what happens at the end of the lease, landlord comes up and goes, oh, we want you to decorate. In your lease, it says you have to decorate the property within normally the last six months of the term. That is another pitfall where tenants get absolutely think they're um, safe, and then all of a sudden this bill arrives for the decoration of the, the building. Got it, yeah. And it's just sort of marrying that through to make sure that they're they're not protect, fully protected. Got yeah, got yeah. Okay, so then, so that those are the potential pitfalls. So how do tenants avoid uh, falling into those traps then? Yeah, I, I think in terms of kind of comes back to the sort of the first point to some extent, in, it, it, which is sort of techni- technical knowledge and experience. So I think having the sort of technical knowledge, either yourself, which obviously comes through education, experience or learning. But if you haven't got that, it's employing the expert to come in and do that for you, which obviously provides that level of protection. Yeah. So uh, a phrase that I, I'll, I'll often say is if you're requiring legal advice you could potentially do it yourself but what you'd often do is go and refer to a solicitor if you're looking to do a set of accounts again you could probably have a go yourself but then you'd just go and see an accountant to to organize it for you lease negotiations are no different if you are entering into lease negotiations yes you can have a go yourself but equally going to see somebody like the lease negotiator just gives you that level of protection and professionalism and just means that what you're doing will be done properly if that makes sense i don't don't want to sound arrogant in that but again it just comes it just very much comes back down to that the level of knowledge and experience so that you're just not caught out and and and, and the job's done properly absolutely but also it, it sort of sets the scene as well for the whole relationship as well doesn't it because you set the you set the grounding early on with the agent and the landlord that as a tenant you're well informed that you, you will seek the help that you support and that you're not going to be a walkover either because ultimately they're going to be they're going to be the the people that are that are more experienced at, at this alongside that experience comes the ability to be able to uh, get what you want generally so, yeah definitely and i think it, and it does come through experience obviously markets change things change and just it's dangerous not to know what you don't know and if you don't know something Mm. that's the bit that will catch you out never it, never a truer word spoken that's <laughs> one of my favorite that's one of my favorite sounds you don't you don't know what you don't know right no and and i think i suppose one thing with leases in particular if you get it wrong it can have a huge impact in terms of how your business operates is yeah. the first one but secondly it can have a just a significant increase in terms of costs and just financial loss or economic loss of not being able to do something else yeah so it's i, I don't know whether business owners i don't know again it's one of those things where if, if you speak to a lot of business owners the lease goes in the bottom of the drawer they're in the building and it's leases are important and i, and I think it's just giving business owners a lot more awareness in terms of 
this is where you can get caught out and it's so important to get the right advice or, or know the information yourself yeah got you got you and um with um so with, with that then so have you got um any sort of your fifth areas around the secrets of negotiating with your landlord so i'm quite interested to to sort of see <laughs> what um obviously you can't give us all your all your secrets because no. they're there you got to keep them up your sleeve when you need them jonathan right absolutely but, um but yeah obviously are you able to just sort of uh share a few share a few tips shall i say yeah, I'll reframe I'll, that a little bit for you. <laughs> absolutely. I think, and this sounds a little bit back to front, my starting premise is always to try and look at, look at what the landlords want. Because in order to negotiate, you kind of need to know what, where the other side's starting position is, is my view. And I think certainly from a, a negotiating perspective, if you look at what landlords are actually after, obviously there's a whole variety of reasons why landlords own commercial property. But if you strip that back down to sort of two fundamentals, one is maximising financial returns and the second one is security of income. Those two things, though, often don't actually fit side by side with each other. So, so for example, uh, a landlord might be really prepared to offer short-term leases. And for the benefit of a short-term lease, what he's looking to do is get a premium on the rent. So he's got no necessary long-term security of income. But one thing he's really interested in doing is, is maximising his return on a year-by-year basis by pro- providing flexibility. The different side of the coin is obviously security of income. So some landlords go, do you know what? What I would prefer to do is get a constant, consistent stream of income. So what I'm really looking for is a long-term lease. So, But what I am prepared to do on that long-term lease is give some benefit to the tenant up front in terms of a lesser rent or a reduced yeah, reduction in rent or rent-free period or step rent or whatever that scenario will be. But in order to, for the tenant to buy into that, what, what I'm looking for is to get a lease for probably 10 years. So if you know what the landlord's starting position is there, what you can then do f- from the tenant side is then start to craft something that actually works. You've got to give the landlord something. So crafting something which gives the landlord what, what his preference is in that situation, but then crafting it so the benefit for the tenant is part of that negotiation. Yeah, and what I always say to, from a business owner's perspective, and, and we'll always try and achieve this in our negotiation, is what we're looking for from a tenant's perspective is both flexibility and security. Mm-hmm. And what agents and landlords will often try and do in part of that is obviously just try and play one off against the other and say you can either have the flexibility or you can have the security. It is difficult to achieve both unless you know how to do that. And I think from a business perspective, why would somebody want security? And that is because you build up your business. Some companies have got a very high fit-out cost. Some uh, companies want a very specific location that works for them. Some businesses want to be able to build up something that they can then sell on. So having security and security of tenure in a property is really key to that process. But others are quite happy with the flexibility. And going, do you know what? We're rapidly expanding business or we want to move in, do what we want to do and then be able to move out. But even having that flexibility, things might change. So having something at the back where you can actually get your lease to go on further is really key. And I'm just going to let you into another little secret here is in terms of contracting out. Probably should have been put in terms of common pitfalls. But very often tenants are quite happy to give up their rights of tenure. 
in terms of contracting out. And in, I suppose, pure basic terms, what that means is you've got no automatic right to renew your lease at the end of the lease term. And there was an article and report in the Time, Financial Times yesterday that said there's a, there's a real pressure now on landlords to offer shorter term leases. So getting down to three years pretty much as standard. Whilst that's good for certain markets, it's not good for others because what that basically means is those leases will be contracted out. So a tenant will go in, set up the business, and all the, as you probably know, all the expense of setting up a business in a property, it can be quite a lot of money. And then in three years' time, you then have to go and knock on the landlord's door and go, oh, can we have a new lease, please? If the lease is contracted out, that then becomes the landlord's decision as to whether he wants to let the building to you. And if he doesn't, you have to vacate. Yeah, so, ahead. and you can imagine the, sort of the ramifications or repercussions of then going, oh no, but we really, really want to stay. We've built up a business here. We've spent 50,000 on fit out, whatever the figure is. Thanks. Where does the power shift in terms of negotiations at that point? Yeah. Well, it's all in the landlord's favour then, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So I'm very conscious in t- when I'm advising clients just to say, are you really aware of what contracting out means? If you are, great. And that's something we can agree to. But can we just look look at it and structure it in a slightly different way, which just means that you're better protected? Yeah. Also really highlights the technical detail element. Yeah. It's the old adage of like, you can deal with anything as long as you know what you're dealing with. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> it's true though, isn't it? I'll that down, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. You know, I, I, I come up with these things. I don't know where they come from, mate. They're just buried somewhere, right? <laughs> yeah. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. So, um, how do you then protect you and your business? So onto the half dozen things. And I'm actually going to ask you a few bits actually after we've finished this, because I want to, I want to talk to you about more business related stuff actually, because you recently rebranded and what have you. So we're going to have a bit of a discussion around that. Next, I just want to, how do you protect yourself? How do you, how do you protect uh, you and your business? I think the three things to focus on here, one is technical information. So either learn it, educate yourself or get somebody into who knows what they're doing to deal with it for you. That, I think, is number one. Second one is know the market. So, sorry, the the previous conversation talked about um, knowing landlord's position. This is sort of slightly different because trying to understand financially where the landlord's at and how keen they are to do a deal just puts you in a sort of stronger position from a negotiated perspective. Some landlords don't need the money and it's take it or leave it. Those are a lot harder to negotiate with than somebody that goes, do you know what, I need to find a tenant desperately. So kind of, it's often hard to find that information out, but doing some background research and investigating and speaking to contacts that just gives you a little bit of snippet there really kind of work does help to protect your business and know what you have to do. And in certain cases, if you're dealing with a, um, a hard-nosed landlord, from a business and commercial perspective, you might have to make some really tough decisions. So you, it might be that, yes, you have to agree to things that you don't necessarily want to agree with to secure the building and to get the deal away or to get the deal. But ultimately, being informed and being aware of what you're signing up to is a massive part of that process because you can then make a very commercial decision and go, I'm prepared to sign that. That's the implication of it. It's worth doing to get the property. So knowing the market, supply and demand is obviously a big part of that. So if there's lots of units available, uh, then 
potentially there's a lot more opportunity there to get a, a deal heavily weighted in your favour than something where there's very little supply and the, and, and the landlord's kind of hold, holding all the cards. And then the third one we kind of touched on a little bit in before, this comes back down to information. So whilst you're trying to gain information on the other side, what you want to try and do is keep your cards very close to your chest in terms of your own strategy. But I think what's really important is that agents and landlords want to know who they're dealing with. And that's a part of the process because a landlord is looking for potential security of income. So he wants to know who you are, your business track record, your history. So there is a very, very, very thin and fine line between what information you provide to facilitate that process you step over that line and start giving too much information away and your deal then suddenly becomes a lot harder. Yep. Those are my three sort of take takeaways really in terms of so it's technical information, kind of knowing the landlord's position and also just knowing your own position, what you're looking to achieve and knowing how much information to give or not give. Brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Jonathan. It sounds like a great game of poker to me. <laughs> I know you're the poker expert, aren't you? The rush. <laughs> the hustler. The rush, uh, rush the hustler. Uh, yeah, any, anyone who knows me knows that I love a good game of poker, right? Um, and yeah. Uh, yeah, it certainly does help if uh, if there's a way to find out what the cards are that someone else is holding, right? Without, yeah. without letting them know what you've got too. Absolutely. Um, and it is negotiation is a game isn't it if it's um yeah, it's a game of tactics it's a game obviously it's got high stakes it really yeah. has, obviously, i suppose like poker it, it can have very high stakes can't it yeah big time so but ultimately we're in this to do deals the deal to some extent has got to work for both parties yeah yeah i, I think i suppose that's ultimately in order to be able to negotiate it you need to kind of also look at it from the other, other parties side yeah i love you know I, I love an arm wrestle the, the as much as the next guy right and even now you talking about negotiating leases from a business point of view we we lease uh we're in a shared building and i'm on a a 31 day rolling rent and it's all good right and then it's just charged per square foot based yeah. on the unit size that i've got and you know it's it's an ideal location for for essentially a startup business which is what we are and uh, and i can't complain at all but even now it resonates with me thinking back to a residential rental that i negotiated the letting agent took took us to a house when we were expecting the child like one of the children and we needed to upsize from a three to a four bed and they took us to a house that the rental was probably about i don't know 33 percent more a month than what we were anticipating or what we were able to afford at the time and uh, times were really tough and i was like there's no chance that i can afford this and they were like well you know the letting agent were like well you know it's been here a little while come and have a look and what have you and it was absolutely amazing this place huge absolutely huge ideal place to bring the family up in um but the rent was extortionate but i knew i knew our position was that we had to wait probably five six years to save money to be able to buy our own house and we needed to stay somewhere for that time so i knew my negotiating position was that i could offer a long-term rent um so i did my homework i went on zoopla i had a look and saw that the landlord had bought that house 10 12 years previously and it was you know, they bought it for probably 50% of what it was now worth. So it had been from a capital investment point of view, a great investment for him. I knew that the rent that I was offering, if he had a mortgage left on it, 
then there'd be no issues there at all. And the house wasn't in the best state of repair either. So I needed a good lick of paint. So um, I, I soon added all of those in and got myself a 33% reduction on the rent, right? Yeah, absolutely. Which was what I needed. That, that was what I needed, you know, and a long-term, a long-term agreement that, you know, so we got them to agree to 12 monthly reviews of tenancy and, and what have you. But it, it sounds sort of a fairly similar principle. Yeah, and obviously from the landlord, from that perspective, having done the homework, you thought, do you know what? There's an opportunity here. He might be looking for security of income in long term, a hassle-free tenant. Yeah. And on that basis, you're able to negotiate. Yeah, very yeah. good deal. A- absolutely. Apart from we wore out his washing machine because we had too many kids. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> so, uh, yeah, he, he definitely had to buy the white goods. That was the only thing, right? So, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we cooked that right up. But yeah, no, we were there for sort of like four and a half years in the end, to be fair. So, Jonathan, that's absolutely spot on. Um, and the risks sound, to be fair, very high, really, on on getting it wrong, you know, as, as a business person. And particularly with the costs of fit out. And I know, you know, from my background in workshops and um, in, in various other, particularly sort of manufacturing businesses where you've got a lot of tooling and equipment and, um, you know, the cost of implementing mezzanine floors and all of that sort of stuff. So vitally important to get this stuff right up front, yeah? Yeah, it is. And I think just making sure, again, business it's a rapidly changing world and certainly over the last sort of four or five months, it's been very evident of that. And even the, sort of the world before that was changing quickly. Um, but things can almost ch- change radically overnight, as we've seen. So building in sort of flexibility and security within your lease in the same, within the same document, just better protects yourself as a business going forward. I, I think it's, and the devil is in the detail. It really mm. is. Mm, definitely. And do you, are you confident, and, and, and I know this is probably... Um, quite a tricky question and and I'm, I'm sure you'll answer it very articulately but <laughs> the value you create in the service you offer is paid back I suppose in ample sum to the uh, to the tenant uh, yeah absolutely so and it's interesting I, I, I've dealt with a company recently and it was very skeptical initially because it's mm-hmm. it's a value-added service isn't it so yeah. people are expected to pay for something that they're not quite sure what they're going to the full benefit of what they get out of it. Each deal is different, but I think if you if you look at where where we kind of sit into the equation, what we're trying to do from a business perspective, and we we achieve the vast majority of this, is we want to get our clients the best deal they possibly can. So it is the reductions in rent, it is the in, increase in incentives, and framing a deal that works in the interest of the business which obviously saves them money potentially on exit. By doing that, we can do it in such a way that enables the tenant to get more upfront in terms of benefit. So it's kind of twofold, really. One is we're looking at the financial, where sort of the business owners tend to focus on anyway. But what we're also trying to do is look at the content of the lease to make sure that things don't cost as much. So just from a sort of fee perspective, our fees are more than covered within the negotiations at the front end yeah so if you look at that alone that's where the value really is seen Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but if you then almost at the end of the lease go well how much has this lease sort of saved us there's Mm -hmm. there's an additional element there as well which is really quite it's quite hard to quantify yeah 
but it is definitely there. And that's really sort of where the value added that we can deliver. Yeah. And and it, and it is it is a tricky thing, you know. I sort of reflect back on on my past when I was when I was business development for uh, for Volvo and and our vehicles, for example, were um, substantially more potentially than our competitors. Um, but you you encourage the the business owner who is looking to purchase at, to look at the lifetime value of that deal. So it's not just the front end where they may be spending more outset, particularly if they're leasing. So often, often actually a lease of that vehicle may end up less because the residual value at the other end yeah. is so much better than the competitor model. And, um, and listening to, to what you're saying is that, you know, we can be very focused on the here and now and what money are we saving right now. But actually, you're protecting, you're like the insurance policy for at the other end as well, aren't yeah. you, when you're coming out of it? And, and I think one th- one thing you've kind of raised there, which, which is almost a, a forgotten cost by business owners, is just the time it actually takes. From yeah. So if, if business owners are trying to manage this themselves, how how much does it cost them to chase chase the information and learn the information and go through this process often there's a lot of false starts dead ends and each time you go down to a dead end it costs you money Damn right. and uh, but that's but that's the kind of hidden cost that it, yeah. again is really difficult to quantify but again it, there is a there is a cost element that should be attached to it big time this is a little story that'll make you laugh right <laughs> Mag, mags rips out of me every time we get into our people carrier so we've got we've got a pcp'd peugeot 5008 seven people carrier right and um to be fair i don't know if the sales i'm trying to remember his name marshall peugeot but the salesman there and do you know what? Like I thought I was a baller. I thought I, you know, I'm so good at negotiating because it's what I do all the time. I thought I was so good, right? And when you talk about wasting time, right? We knew we wanted this car. It was a car that was in their yard, so it was already built and whatever it it, it wasn't an ex demonstrator, but I guess it was a cancelled order or whatever yeah. it may have been, right? And we went in and it was quite pricey and it was on a monthly rent monthly PCP. I call it rental, but it's a PCP, whatever. Yeah. And um I started I started balling with him and, and negotiating <laughs> and he was like, Oh, you know what you're doing here. And I was like, Well, you know, I I can't negotiate for a living and blah, 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 right? And um I I walked away from the deal. I knew I was having the car, but he knew I was having that car. <laughs> he knew I was having it, right? And I walked away from it and I left it for a week and he rung and followed me up and I was like, oh, no, it's, it's too much money, what have you, because he knew I wasn't in a rush either for it. Um, yeah. Anyway, it was like a two-week negotiation for this car. Like, I could have just done a deal on the day because the net sum benefit of all that time negotiating, two two meetings with him, two weeks in between, what have you. I saved about five pound a month over a <laughs> And the moral of that story is it's like 150 quid for all that time wasted. Oh, brilliant story. I might, as, I might as well have just signed on the dotted line there and then and taken the car away and been a bit excited <laughs> about it, you know? <laughs> I think people like to negotiate, don't they? And they get, they get a sense of... But, and again, I... I it, it, that really resonates with me because, again, just, just a couple of stories from when I was an agent previously. The amount of times I, I would have business owners coming up to me and on the one hand thinking, right, we're going to do a negotiated deal here. But then obviously spilling the beans, going, oh, it's been an absolute nightmare trying to find this building. We've, we've got a contract that starts in two weeks time. This is the only thing we're fi- finding. And as an agent, you go, you're kind of rubbing your hands together. Why, why have they given me that information? Because 
your deal suddenly then oh we're not interested right okay go away take and that that really is when you take it or leave it deal isn't it so agents are aware that this process of from the initial idea through to actually finding a building is is long complicated and frustrating so when you kind of find the building it's at the level where agents going do you know what this guy wants it or lady wants it so at that point it's a tricky one because yeah. agents are skillful, they negotiate every yeah. single day of the week on, yeah. on properties. Yeah, big time, big time. They know yeah. how to read the cards, Pete. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that sounds about right, to be fair. But uh, there you go, top tip for today, people only know what you tell them. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Which is quite hard when you've got a podcast, because I tell them an awful lot. So... Yeah, I think I've just given away all my secrets now. <laughs> Don't worry about it, it's all right, we'll just ruin our businesses, it's fine, that worry. Just real quickly, I just wanted to have a quick quick ask of you before we sort of top and tail things. You've recently rebranded from the Talkspace group to the Lease Negotiator. Can you t- tell us a bit about the uh, the idea behind the Lease Negotiator, Jonathan? Obviously, you know, I love doing BNI, and obviously, BNI is a sort of relatively new phenomenon for me. But um, got got uh, well and truly hooked on on this networking group. Fantastic part of my initial presentation. Um, I had to try and come up with a almost like a catchphrase or something that would almost instantly tell people what what we did. And previously, it was Talkspace, and although Talkspace kind of does is or does exactly the same thing or did exactly the same thing. It was kind of lost a little bit in translation in terms of business name. And I wanted something that was kind of crystal clear. So it's part of the BNI presentation. I was kind of working through the, through sort of my, my 10 minutes. And I wanted something to as a catchphrase or a, as a bit of a hook where people instantly, ah, that's exactly what we do. And that's the, kind of the idea that sort of the lease negotiator sprang from. Amazing. And since then, I've had lo- lots of people approach me and go, blimey, that's what you do. And even, even though for Talkspace, we've been marketing for seven or eight years, we thought we were marketing it well, but clearly people are now coming back to me and, and it's exactly the right market where people are unsure as to what to do in terms of negotiations on their lease. People who've got leases and going, do you know what, I need some help here in terms of understanding what my options are. It kind of is just a real focus for our, our ideal target market. Yeah, amazing, amazing. And to be fair, my comp claim for blinding me with the button is still in process. So yes, to, the listen, to the listeners, <laughs> to the listeners, John John did a ten minute presentation on the lease negotiator, and and he he ripped as part of the end of the pro, uh, presentation, he he ripped the shirt off, and underneath was a t shirt saying the lease negotiator on it and all the buttons went flying everywhere so uh yeah i still i still keep joking that yeah one of those buttons caught me in the eye and it's uh i can't see properly out of it still so the complaints come in mate <laughs> right then jonathan um it's been amazing speaking to you um i'm sure the listeners are really keen to just sort of hear where they can catch up with you and and obviously we, we haven't had much of a chance to talk about it but actually you're gonna have a podcast coming out soon yeah, so um, the lease negotiator, um, Commercial Property Insights, is going to be launching in well in a couple of weeks' time. So starting to prepare for that now. So yeah, people can find me theleasenegotiator.com is is the website. I'm on LinkedIn, Jonathan Hand, uh, the lease negotiator, and email Jonathan at theleasenegotiator.com. Amazing stuff. Thank you, Jonathan. And I'm sure um, the listeners will be interested in going and checking out your podcast when it lands. When When's that due to due to start? 1st of September. Amazing stuff. So you're already recording? 
next week. Yeah, amazing. I can't wait for my slot. Uh, we will book you in immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Neither can my listeners because they don't get enough with a half dozen things, you know. <laughs> so um, anyway, listeners, thank you for listening this week. Um, Jonathan's been a fantastic guest, some really great insights on commercial property. So thank you, Jonathan. Uh, if you like it, please leave us a comment, subscribe, share with your friends. Uh, if you've got friends who are looking into moving property, moving leases, what have you, get them to have a listen to this, get them to listen to Jonathan's podcast reach out, get in touch with him. He's such a good guy. I'm sure he will offer a level of support just for you anyway and and obviously demonstrate the value of his service as well. So, uh, yeah, thank you for joining us, Jonathan. Thank you, everyone, for listening and we'll catch you all again next week. Thank you very much. I really hope you loved today's episode. And if you did, please make sure you subscribe and listen out for future episodes too. Please do share it across your social media channels. We hope to reach more and help more people. If you want to find out more about me my name's pete rushmer you'll find me across any social media channel and my business flagship partners and we're your partners in success across your business thank you see you again soon